In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in, in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings, our princes and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the word spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us. Yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill, our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. This is the word of the Lord. Pray to God. Uh, that's, I think, probably one of the most sustained prayers in the Bible outside of um, uh, kids. By the way, isn't it great to have kids here? So great. Um, the most sustained prayer, I think, in the Bible outside of the Psalms, somebody could check up on that. If that goes again, I'm going to rip this microphone off and take that handheld. I was at a wedding here yesterday. It happened. Um, uh, so the most sustained prayer, uh, out, possibly, outside of the Psalms. And uh, what a, a drive for uh, forgiveness there. And we're going to talk about that in a few moments' time, firstly. Secondly, uh, Josh just read the scriptures to us a moment ago. Thank you, Josh. It's worth saying, Josh is one of the couples who are getting married uh, at St. Philip's Garrison Church, and this is the last week of those who have joined the marriage preparation, and you're in the room, and thank you for being here. You're welcome, of course, any Sunday, 
but they're required to be here on uh, these Sundays. So I'm going to get rid of You spend good money on this stuff and nothing happens. Uh, so, uh, thank you for the wedding couples who have come and joined us. Uh, I hope it's been helpful for you. Um, and today is about forgiveness, so, you know, what could be better for, for marriage, quite frankly. Um, and thirdly, it's worth saying with Matt Pado, we did go to youth group together. I was leading it after having finished theological education etc. We're not the same age. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. We weren't the, I mean, I know we look the same age, but, um, but uh, I was his youth leader many years. It's a real delight to see him, uh, him here in this space. But it's worth saying, I don't think this was said. I think I was listening. You, when you give money to the church, and you all do it online, uh, when you give money to the church, one dollar in every ten uh, goes to mission, and uh, the Living Waters receives a, a donation every year for three years uh, to the tune of ten thousand uh, dollars from the mission giving of the five congregations of the parish of Churchill. So it's not just your prayers; your money, your hard-earned money that God has given you, uh, is in part going to support this ministry in Redfern, which is great news. And the last thing I want to say is, blokes, self-identify right now in your heart. You are invited on Thursday to a men's dinner, and those details, I don't think this was said a moment ago, those details are in the back of the, uh, of the orders of service. There's a men's dinner at, uh, on Thursday night, the 21st of November, uh, which is just in five, four, five, five days' time, and uh, 6.30 for 7 o'clock start to 9 o'clock. What's great about that is that you get a tasty meal, beverage, you get to hang out with the men of the five congregations uh, of, the, of the parish, and... Um, and, uh, and you get to hear their stories, and we do it twice a year, and it's a really worthwhile event. And the way you want to do that is by, I don't think Leo's here in the room, is that right? So you're going to speak Matt Patterson, uh, not Matt, Rowan Patterson. Now you've messed me up. Go speak to Rowan, who will write down your name, and, uh, and he'll get that to me tomorrow, and I'll make sure that you've got a spot at the men's dinner. Is that all right? All good? Everyone happy? Are you sure? Half happy? I'm going to pray. Here we go. Father, welcome us home this evening into your arms. We have wandered from you like lost children, like a lost child, and yet you've made the first move back to us. You're a loving Father. You made the first move in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Uh, got this illustration from my friend Dylan a couple of years ago, and I really like it. He got it from Ernest Hemingway. At the start of one of his short stories, Ernest Hemingway retells what he calls a Madrid joke. In it, a father comes to Madrid in search of his son, Paco, and he places an advertisement in the local newspaper, and it says, Paco, meet me at Hotel Montana, noon Tuesday, all is forgiven. The joke ends with a squadron of soldiers dispersing the 800 young men called Paco, who show up to the hotel searching for forgiveness, for a father's embrace. The joke, of course, is about how common the name Paco is in Madrid, 800 men turn up, but the joke only works really because of the deep desire that exists in every one of us for reconciliation, for wholeness after wrongdoing, 
and for forgiveness. We are all Pacos. Amen. Welcome home then. <laughs> Not just a banal routine greeting, but a phrase that could transform your life. Tonight we're looking at the simple and profound idea of forgiveness, that God welcomes sinners home, sinners like me. We're going to touch in on Daniel 9. Uh, it's the last message in a series in Daniel, Mondays in Babylon. We did 8 through 12 last week. Not easy. Thank you, Rowan. Uh, today we're going much simpler because Daniel has this very simple prayer asking for forgiveness, and we're going to talk about forgiveness from God. We're also going to talk about how to share forgiveness, especially when it's hard. C.S. Lewis once wrote, forgiveness is a beautiful word. Everyone likes the word forgiveness. It's a beautiful word until you have something to forgive, someone to forgive. Then it's hard. I believe that forgiveness is an unnatural response to sin and injustice. The natural response is to hold people accountable. You live in a moral universe. I believe that forgiveness is an unnatural. It requires you to be counterintuitive. And yet, at the same time, forgiveness is, of course, life-changing. It's oxygen to a marriage. It's life to a community, uh, to a workplace, uh, to family. In fact, I want to say forgiveness is a miracle. I'll say it again. Forgiveness is a miracle. In a few moments' time, we're going to confess our sins, and the assurance of forgiveness links forgiveness with resurrection from the dead. Christ came out of the tomb. You can forgive someone. Both of miracles. I want to show you why in a moment's time. It's, in fact, I'll say why. Because forgiveness isn't just saying, it's okay, I sort of got over it. I sort of got over it over time, and now I'm okay. No, forgiveness is to maintain justice. It is to believe that there are costs to behavior, to wrongdoing, to sin. When you forgive someone properly, Christianly, you're still drawing lines in the sand. You are not a doormat any more than God is a doormat. And yet, at the same time, to forgive is to absorb the sin in yourself. That's what it is to forgive, to not inflict pain on the other, but rather to release them of the cost of the thing they did to you. So, in other words, you're in the end taking the punishment for something that you would like to give to another, that you would like to hand over, at least intuitively, to the person who's wronged you. I believe that whenever you properly forgive, you're performing a miracle, and I believe that if you do it properly, you're very close to the heart of God. You can feel His heartbeat, because He absorbed my sin towards Him in His body, in Christ's body, on the tree, on the cross, in a moral universe, and you live in a moral universe. By the way, it's worth asking why you live in a moral universe. doesn't have to be moral. could just be dog-eat-dog, but you live in a moral universe. And so you hold the person who did the thing wrong accountable. That's what you do. That's intuitive. To merely do that, of course, means that we have learned from a culture that's been stripped of grace. It's all judgment. It's all you're wrong. It's all why other people are wrong and I'm right. You see it all over, the, all over social media. But in a grace-filled universe, I heard you say it, the most important doctrine. That's interesting. I'm going to think about that. It's going to keep me up tonight. 
in a grace-filled universe, you have this opportunity to forgive, and it's counterintuitive. It's a miracle. The truth is you can't see forgiveness. You can't touch it. You can't earn it. You can't buy your way into it. It's a pity if you have money. One of the few things money, it appears, can't do. In fact, people with money often have dog situations where forgiveness can't somehow be offered or received. Look at Gina Reinhardt. Not judging them, I'm just saying sometimes it's, it's a dog. You can only ever see it offered and received. You can't see into someone's heart, but you can see the effects of true love and life through forgiveness. And you can see the peace it often brings. Sometimes it's disturbing, it's hard. James wrote, mercy triumphs over judgment. You look at social media and you're pretty sure judgment triumphs over mercy. And yet forgiveness, I believe, is by nature painful. Not just like, I got over it. Uh, someone always bears a cost when real forgiveness takes place. So two points this evening, if you're following on the outline on page eight, if you're writing notes, both of you, Two points, forgive us our sins. That's what Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to explore Daniel 9. He got, Jesus assumed that God needed to forgive my sins. And secondly, uh, forgive us our sins. Secondly, as we forgive those who sin against us. I'm going to talk about exploring what it means to forgive those who sin against us. Jesus assumed that forgiveness for God would be shared. It would um, impact our lives. And then I want to touch in or have a bite at two questions. One, can I forgive someone who doesn't ask for it? If they don't ask for it, can I forgive them? And secondly, do I have to forgive today? Can it be tomorrow or next year? So firstly, forgive us our sins. Daniel chapter 9. You heard it read a moment ago. Some things to note from Daniel chapter 9. Number one, the whole book of Daniel and chapter 9 in particular is part of a story that leads to the life of Jesus Christ. That's why you heard about the law of Moses, the Torah, and what happens when Jewish people didn't obey the Torah, the law of Moses, that they will be sent into exile and there'll be a disaster in Jerusalem and the city got sacked and Jerusalem, the temple got torn down in 587 BC and the people uh, got transferred 600 miles east to what is now uh, Iraq and they were told by God to stay there for 70 years. That's what Jeremiah's letter said. Jeremiah's letter referred to in verses 1 and 2 of Daniel chapter 9 uh, so they get told, 70 years, stay there, don't try to come back. I'll tell you why, because, you know, you're going to be locked in your room for that long. That's a punishment for their rejection of God. They're not seeking or caring after God. And Daniel gets told, actually, the people are stubborn. It's going to take some more time. Daniel gets told, 500 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, that it will be 490 years before the Messiah would come, the ruler would come. It's right there at the back end of Daniel chapter 9, before the, the anointed one is cut off and that sins are dealt with, sins atoned for, and righteousness then offered. All of that said in the 6th century BC, it's a word of prophecy saying that uh, 400 years after the life of Daniel, the Messiah would come. It's a story, Daniel 9, that leads historically to the life, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if some of it was unusual to you, that's because you're culturally not Jewish. But we still learn. Here's, secondly, what we learn. Daniel really really, really believes he's sinned, and so is his countrymen. He's not just like, I'm generally a good bloke, and I try to make myself feel like I'm a sinner. He really believes it. Look at verse 4 
Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commands. We've sinned. We've not kept the commands. We've done wrong. He said that. We've been wicked. He chose that word. We've rebelled. We've turned away from your commands, not just my own commands, your commands. Uh, we've not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, to our princes, to our ancestors, and indeed to all the people of the land. You see what he's saying? He's, he's not saying, I've just been hurt and I'm in the process of healing. He's not saying, I'm mostly okay, but who's perfect? I'm pretty okay. He's saying, I'm genuinely in the wrong when I, put my, when I measure myself up against the only rule that counts, and that is a holy God. I'm in the wrong. I love C.S. Lewis's comment there. He says, we need not despair even in our worst for our failures can be forgiven. They really can. The only fatal thing, the only fatal thing is to sit down content with anything less than perfection. He is a holy God. The only fatal thing really is denial, uh, to put on a mask and say, I'm a pretty okay person. Now, that's actually refreshing, by the way. It's really good news, not bad news because it means you don't have to pretend anymore. You can take off the mask. Third thing to say about Daniel 9, he knows that God both loves us and is righteous at the same time. Verse 4, the God who keeps his covenant of love to those who love him. And verse 7, Lord, you are righteous. You are right to put us into exile. You had every right to send us to this hell. It's a hell they faced. You are right to pour out your wrath on us. You are right to do that. It's not like saying to God, I'm a pretty okay person, God, and you, your message about hell isn't very fair to me. He's saying it's actually very fair. And yet at the same time, verse 15, you loved us. You rescued us out of Egypt. That's the sort of God you are. Daniel knows that the only way that love and justice can happen together is that God both expresses his wrath, that's justice, and yet turns his wrath away from me. Verse 16, Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger, turn away your wrath. Express it, don't not express it, express it, but direct it elsewhere. The cross of Jesus Christ is God expressing his wrath elsewhere than you. In fact, since Jesus is God, he's not just turning aside his wrath, he's turning it inward. Paul said, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. The cross of Jesus Christ is God absorbing the wrath within himself. That's why he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. He could say that to any one of us who treat him with a casual concern. Um, with my children, I no longer ask when they have some difficulty at school, they come home, they say, my friend did this, my friend did that. I used to say, did you forgive him? Did you forgive her? And they'd go, mm, I don't know, yeah, okay, okay. I now ask a new question, and uh, it gets to the heart of the issue, and it makes them think. I say to them after they come through, they, we had this tough, tough situation, um, are you okay now? Yeah, 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 yeah. And then I say to them, well, then tell me, who absorbed the pain? Which one of you then? One of you absorbed the pain. Maybe you both absorbed a little bit of it, but did you pass it on to the person who wronged you? Did you get even? 
you live in a moral universe, you can. Or did you absorb it yourself? Did you, were you the one that, that said, you know what? I'm going to keep it to myself. Wilfred McClay says this, to forgive whether one is forgiving trespasses or debts precisely means suspending all the just and legitimate claims we have against the other. I have the right to lash out with my tongue, I have to rise and strike. But you suspend all just and legitimate claims we have against the other in the name of the higher ground of divine love and human solidarity. I want my brother, I want my sister back. That is why forgiveness, if properly understood, is both costly and rare. It affirms justice even as it suspends it. That's why my friend, singer-songwriter Nathan Tasker, urges you to look at the death of Jesus. He says, come and see where justice and mercy collide there on his hands and his feet and his side. Come and see how valuable you really are, worth every pain and every tear and every scar. God absorbed the pain. Father, forgive us our sins. And so forth, Daniel knows that he has to ask for it. You don't just get it by being born. You don't get it by being Aussie, by having Christian values. You don't. Verse 19, Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Right? See, it's not just religious. Lord, hear and act. Do something. For your sake, my God, do not delay. There's no way to come to God except on your knees. There is no way to know God except on your knees. I don't mean literally. Well, maybe, I don't know, for some of you. C.S. Lewis became a Christian on his knees. I mean metaphorically, in your heart. And yet the beautiful thing about the gospel is the moment you get on your knees, he lifts you up again. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. But the one who exalts himself, the one who defends himself, will be humbled. He will lift you up. It's a miracle. It's the same sort of miracle as resurrection. So, forgive us our sins as, secondly, we forgive those who sin against us. You've been forgiven, you do the same. That's what Jesus said uh, in several par parables in the New Testament. You say, but it's difficult for me to forgive, and God doesn't know that. And you say, hmm, really? You think God doesn't know personally and experientially what, how hard forgiveness is? He does. Just before Jesus died on the cross, he was in the garden, and he prayed tears like drops of blood to the ground, and he said to God, take this cup from me. I don't want to drink the cup of wrath. He's basically saying, I don't want to die. I don't want to experience the wrath reserved for people whom you love, oh God. I don't want to do that. I will do it, but I don't want to do it because he knows that forgiveness is hard. This is God saying uh, the truth of the miracle of forgiveness that's why Paul wrote things like, forgive as the Lord forgave you. By the way, you couples getting married, that's one of the passages that's in your list of readings to have read at your wedding. Romans 15, accept one another as Christ accepted you. So there's got to be a link between receiving forgiveness from God and sharing it with others. Edward Herbert said, he that cannot forgive others breaks the bridge over which he himself must pass, for every man has need to be forgiven. Let me put that in uh, feminine language. She that cannot forgive others. Did I say the right thing? Let me make the, a woman the subject. 
She that cannot forgive others breaks the bridge over which she must pass herself. For every woman has need to be forgiven. We all do. We're all Parkos. You see, when we are wronged, we come up with a stack of reasons to fight forgiveness. We don't surrender. We want to fight it. So we say things like, he needs to learn a lesson. If I do it again, take me for granted. I'm not a doormat. I'll let her stew for a while. She needs to learn that actions have consequences. I was the wrong party. Not up to me to make the first move. Can I forgive him if he's not sorry? Now, all those things are legitimate concerns. I mean, you live in a moral universe. These things matter. But instead of saying that, forgiveness is to say something like this, one way or another, to say, listen to this, here's a new way of thinking. You have done, it's to say to someone, you have done something unspeakable, and by all rights, I should call it quits between us. Both my pride and my principles demand no less. However, although I make no guarantees that there will not be scars, maybe even for both of us, maybe even for life, I refuse to let it stand between us. I want you as my friend, so I release you of the anger I have for you. In fact, the Greek word to forgive is related to the word to release, to loosen. I'm holding tight in my heart the desire to get back, and I'm loosening that desire in order to take the first step towards perhaps reconciliation. I know a lot of people hear this stuff and think, but you don't know what I'm going through, and you're right, I don't. I know some of you. You say, you don't know my situation, you don't know how impossible it is or feels, and that's true, but I do want to say the risen Jesus Christ knows what you're going through. So you can bring it to God with an open Bible. It's going to take time. Take the time to talk about it with someone, pray about it. Can someone be ready to pray tonight? Emma, you've you got people to pray. Great. So if any of this triggers, can I use that word? Anything in you. Um, there's community groups, of course, of places. Uh, Rowan and Naomi would love to speak to you. But if you want to pray to someone tonight, um, then these guys will be very free, Caleb and Emma, to pray with you. Where? Up the back, up the front, up the back. It's couches. Leave the couches for them to pray with you. It may take time and counselling and counsel and all those sorts of things. So a couple of quick questions. Can I forgive someone who doesn't ask for it? They don't ask for it? Can you forgive them? I think the answer has to be yes, even though reconciliation may not take place. That has to be parsed. There's nuance there. Philip Yancey talks about an immigrant rabbi who had to forgive Hitler. I'll read you the quote in a moment. But there's no way that Hitler was forgiven or reconciled to this rabbi. And the guy put a bullet in his head and then went straight to hell. The bullet, by the way, did not save him from the wrath of God. Hitler, that is. Yancey's not trying to pretend in this quote that I'm about to read to you that, uh, that uh, Hitler's crimes uh, uh, shouldn't be treated properly and justly. They... They have been. They will be at the resurrection. But listen to this, Yancey. I once heard an immigrant rabbi make an astonishing statement. Before coming to America after the war, I had to forgive Adolf Hitler. And the reason? I did not want to bring Adolf Hitler inside me to this new country. My hatred towards him is a stone in my heart, and I had to 
let go of the stone. doesn't mean reconciliation takes place. Reconciliation may not be possible with somebody who's wronged you if they don't ask for forgiveness. It's very important. It might happen, but it might not happen. Forgiveness, of course, is the start, the right start, not the only ingredient, a door to a healthy relationship. But the completion of forgiveness, reconciliation, will happen if the other person asks and receives it. That's when you can fully embrace and be comfortable in each other's skin. I've got a quote for you in a moment. I guess the key is this. The goal should be to never, ever give up making forgiveness and hopefully reconciliation one's goal. I've got a qualification in a moment. Or how about this? If conf- confrontation has to happen, as it often does, it will be forgive- with forgiveness in mind, not revenge. It'll be, it'll be, I want things to be blessed here and peace to come. Uh, but I might have to hold this person accountable for the way they're treating people at work you know, because they haven't asked for forgiveness. They can't recognize what they're doing wrong. Do I have to do it today rather than tomorrow or in a year's time? I think maybe the answer has to be yes in the sense of tomorrow never comes. So, you know, make the phone call or send the email. Perhaps initiate with two important qualifications. First, not a few or those you love or care for are unsafe. Now, you've got to figure this out yourself, but... It seems to me that you need to get advice on this if you um, are making that phone call or sending the email. I have a friend of mine uh, whose husband treated her and her children poorly, very poorly, and she said to me, um, I was astounded at this, she said, I'm at peace now with my former husband. I've forgiven him, but I'm not approaching him and I'm not letting the kids near him. You see? That's something to pray about. But she said she's at peace uh, and the second thing is these things often take time, but the path can be ended on to today. Remember that it took God time to forgive, achieve forgiveness for humanity. Now, I'm seeing some uh, faces here which are like, is that really true? I might leave time for one question afterwards, if that's okay. We'll see for time. Let me know. I just want to say there's a terrifying beauty in forgiveness. Um, it lightens your load, even if it's hard, even if you're bearing a burden. It's one of the ironies, one of the miracles of forgiveness. Frederick Bigner said, when, you've wronged, when someone you've wronged forgives you, you're spared the dull and self-diminishing throb of a guilty conscience. They've given you a gift. Don't take it for granted. There's no point in which anybody can ever say, oh, you're a Christian, you should forgive me. Wrong. He goes on, when you forgive someone who's wronged you, you are spared the dismal corrosion of bitterness and wounded pride dismal corrosion in your heart when you forgive someone who has wronged you. For both parties, I think with reconciliation, forgiveness means the freedom again to be at peace inside their own skins and to be glad in each other's presence. Let me just conclude and then I'll open for a question. The good news of the Christian gospel, the one we say here every Sunday, uh, is that since Christ died for us, while we were his enemies, we can be reconciled to God. And that reconciliation has to be passed on. But that reconciliation is not automatic. In uh, Hosea the prophet, Hosea says, um, take words with you. We're going to do it in a moment's time. Take words with you and return to the Lord. You say, what would I say to him? What would I pray if I even wanted to pray? The prophet Hosea tells you what to pray. It says, say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips in praise and worship. Paul says, I implore you, be reconciled to God. You know you need it, do it tonight. Walk through the door. (laughs) Return home. (laughs) It's a prodigal. 
a father whose arms are open wide. I read a story about a criminal who was returning home after doing time in jail. The young man had been in jail uh, for a crime that had badly dishonored his parents. And there's every reason why the parents should reject the boy. The story that I read is the same idea of that song that you've probably never heard of called Tie a Yellow Ribbon Round the Old Oak Tree. But the story I read was less sing-songy and more sobering, more joyful. This prisoner came home on a train to his parents' place and he wrote to his parents ahead of time and sent them a letter saying something like this, I'm coming home and what I've done is inescapably bad. I would understand if you didn't want to see me. We could say the same thing to a holy God. I will understand if it's just too much for you to handle. But I want to take the train into town and you know that tree there is... As the train rolls into the station, if I see a, just a single white piece of cloth hanging on that tree, then I'll know that's a signal. I'll know that it's okay for me to get off at the train station and come home and see you. But if the white ribbon isn't there, then I'll understand. I'll just stay on the train and go on. But as he approached the tree from a distance, he saw no white ribbon. On the train, the train is rolling in, no white ribbon. And his heart sank. But as he drew closer, he suddenly realized that the only reason he couldn't see a single white ribbon is that the whole tree was covered in white ribbons. We are that son in prison. And God is like a father who has filled the tree with white ribbons. We've been marred and broken and wounded by sin. But we've been given the ribbons of acceptance in the cross of Jesus Christ. We've been justified, reconciled through Jesus Christ and embraced in the healing power of the Spirit. And I want to say to you tonight, why not walk through the front door? Um, you who came to church thinking, oh, it's not, nothing, it's not, none, none of it's here for me, but um, maybe God is knocking at your door and opening a door. And I want to say, why not walk through that door with joy and confidence, knowing that you've been forgiven. Do it today. Pray the prayer. We're going to pray in a moment's time. It's a, on page 10. Have a look at it before we pray it, after we sing how deep the Father's love for us. Do it today, and like a prodigal, God will welcome you home. Rowan, should I take a question or pray? I know we've had a long, even, long evening. I'm going to pray. So if you've got questions, I guess that is what bottom line. I'll, I'll stick around for a few minutes afterwards. I've got to do something. But I'd love you, if you've got me, you, you want to pray about it, Emma, Caleb, you be lying to me and you say, I don't believe what she said. What she said sucks. It's wrong. Then come up and see me straight away after the service. I'll be up near the sound desk. Let me pray. Father, we want both. We want to be forgiven by you and then we want to share the forgiveness with other people. We want to be touched in every way by your grace and your goodness towards us. We want you to fill us by your spirit and give us uh, what we need, arm us with what we need to take very complex situations and, and, uh, and beg for forgiveness from you and then offer it to others. And Father, for some of us, that's deeply hard, very troubling, very complex. We're going to seek advice. We're going to pray about it. We're going to pray with someone. Pray that you will show us a way forward. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we know that we can't always be reconciled to those who've wronged us, but we can take away the daggers we have for them, the stone in our hearts, the 
we can release them of the desire we have to get back and begin to live again comfortable in our own skins and we want more than that father we want reconciliation with those we've wronged especially in the church especially those touched by the blood of jesus christ so we ask for power in your spirit to give this to us for christ's sake